0: You know, it was all going so well. It really was. Things were overperforming. We had a lot of finishes. And then, well, the last two fights happened as far as UFC 282 goes. And that cloud is still hanging over me at the moment, everybody. My name is Robert Winfrey, and this is the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast Thank y'all very, very much for listening. As usual, anything you can do to support the podcast is deeply appreciated. Like, comment, subscribe. That's always helpful. Star rating, written review, whatever is most applicable to your podcast platform of choice. I i don't discriminate as far as that goes. I'm anywhere that will take me, pretty much. And shame on them for taking me, I suppose, sometimes. Uh, if you've done all that, share... Let the people know on people you know in person, social media applications, anything that you can do to uh, again point me at people you think will enjoy the show, or point me at your enemies if you think I'll annoy them for a little bit. I am happy to do, uh, you know, a little bit of annoyance on your behalf in that respect, I suppose. If you're a new listener, thank you. I sincerely hope someone did not point you in my direction hoping that I would annoy you, but if you think they did, feel free to exact vengeance in whatever way you deem appropriate. On the agenda this evening, UFC 282. Man. Man. I am so tired of yelling about judging. Like, I'm not even angry about yelling about it. Like, there was a period of time when I got, like, sick of it. I'm just... When I say sick of it, like, you know, angry about it. Like, here we are again, and you're a fire and brimstone. I'm just tired of it, man. Like, I'm just beaten down. And I don't even have a stake in this. But we'll talk about the judges and how much they suck, as well as all the other Fallout from UFC 282, which, apart from the last two fights, was a pretty solid overall card. Definitely overperformed relative to expectations. I came on here last week and said, this doesn't look all that great on paper. And, I mean in all fairness, it doesn't, if you just put it on paper, there's some stuff there that you might go, yeah, that's somewhat interesting, but there's nothing really grabbing you necessarily. It overperformed. And I say that, again, I say that as a compliment to everyone involved. Thank you for that. So we'll uh, review that. We will preview UFC on ESPN Plus 74. The last UFC event of 2022. That comes your way this coming Saturday. And you know what? For a fight night at the Apex. That's one of the better Apex cards they've put out in a while. Um, You got a pretty good main event. You got a killer co-main event. I am genuinely salivating over that one. But... uh. Full preview, then news of the week, such as it exists, and we got some. So, that's what's on the agenda this evening. Let's jump right into it, shall we? UFC 282. Now, before we get into the main event, I need to set the stage for you. Ladies and gentlemen, we have been... The first ten fights on this card... All had finishes we were uh we were rolling you know we were we were rolling a little bit then the car main event, which we'll yell about in a minute, then the main event I almost wonder if everyone else on this card was informed ahead of time. The judges are drunk. So, if you want some security, you better get a finish. Because otherwise, we don't know what's going to happen. Your main event for the vacant light heavyweight title ends, uh, this fight between Jan Blahovich and Magomed Kalaev, it ends in a split draw. I was baffled. I'll get to the other fight that really annoyed me in a minute or two. Let's talk to this one real fast. Scores were as follows. A 48-47 for Blahovic, A 48-46 for Magomed Onkolaev. And a 47-47 draw. None of these idiots gave Magomed Onkolaev the first round. This baffles me. I'm not saying that Magomed Onkolaev had an ironclad claim to the first round, okay? It's it's not that. But I don't know what they were watching to necessarily arrive at leaning towards Blahovich. Ankalayev did better work, both in terms of quality and in terms of volume, my opinion. I I really don't know what they were looking at. It was it was just a first it was like, you know, not a great this was not a great fight overall. I mean, and Dana White that I'm going to have to yell about Dana White. Let me save it for when I talk about the co-main event, because that's going to take some time, too. Uh, I mean, Dana's, like, damage control coming out of this was just... You know, he's, I started zoning out after the first three rounds, and Onkolaev you know, shouldn't be... Uh, I don't think he should, you know, claim that he you know did enough to win. Uh, and... Then, just kind of dropping out of nowhere. Yeah, so the light heavyweight title will be decided now in a fight between Glover Teixeira and Jamal Hill. Never mind that Anthony Smith has already signed to fight Jamal Hill in March. Just screw him, I guess, right? Um, Dana. Uh, so, the first round, I I, I don't understand... How they all went for Blahovich there. I really don't. I don't think he landed the better strikes. And frankly, like, that's kind of the biggest thing. He didn't land more strikes, so... I don't know. Round two, Blahovich. He, he starts landing some wicked inside leg kicks. He, re, he commits to them. And he kind of gets on Kulaev's legs in a little bit of trouble. Like, I don't know what Jan Blahovic is made of. But... He was just kicking, like, he wasn't even kicking on Kalev in the calf about half the time. He was just straight up kicking him in the shin. And just, I guess he assumed correctly that my shins are in better condition than yours, and this hurts you more than me, so have at it. it again, it was working. Third round. Third round I gave to on Let me just eat the crow right here. I was wrong. Uh, this entire card was a bit of a bit of an ordeal for me, not because it was a bad card, but because I had a long day Saturday. Uh, my third-degree brown belt test started at nine in the morning my time and ended at two thirty-ish, right around there. So that was five and a half hours, and that, you know was a lot. Then I left from... The, I had to leave from that, come home, sh- like, by the time I got home, I needed to eat, actually, because you don't eat a lot before you test. That's just... You, anybody knows that. So I had to go eat, because I hadn't eaten anything other than a bagel at, like, six or seven in the morning. So I... Between eating, getting home, showering, because, yeesh, I was... I sweat a lot. Just in general. I got ready to, you know, I sat down to, I got, did all my prep work the night before, because I always do, sat down to start coverage, you know, like three, three to five minutes before the event started. So I was, again, I was a li- by the time we got to the main event, I was a little bit just kind of, you know, my judgment was just a touch compromised. Thankfully, my judgment doesn't matter in this respect, So just for the record. Arkoliev does the vast majority of the work in the in the third round. However, uh Blahovich darn near cripples him with a couple of more leg kicks. Um, he had both legs beat up. Uh cuz Arkoliev normally fights southpaw. So Blahovich is just crushing those inside leg kicks and again just like into the shin. Just ow. Then when Onkolaev would go orthodox, he's just happy to kick the outside of the left calf. And he messed up his legs, man. He was, he was hurting. He was hurting in that third round. Fourth round. Onkolaev does about the only thing you can do when your legs are a little bit messed up and you're trying to deal with a good kicker. You back them up. It's very, very difficult to throw kicks with any kind of authority or safety... If, you, if you're having to back up constantly. So Ankalayev got on forward pressure and got his wrestling going. Uh, he got a takedown. And funny stat about um, Jan Blahovic here. In fights where he has not given up a single takedown, he's 11-1. and one. I think the only guy that beat him without a takedown was Tiago Santos. In fights where he has given up a takedown, at least one, coming into this fight, he was 2-5. and five uh if you can get him on his back, he's just he's just not very dynamic there, and Ankalaev started getting him down, started beating him up uh fifth round Ankalaev gets him down in the first like thirty seconds because he got like four and a half minutes of control time and just beats him up for the entire round. There's a very real 10 eight argument for onkolaev in the fifth round. two of the judges in fact gave him one. This may not look like kind of the prototypical 10-8, but hear me out for this. Hear me out on this for just a second. Ankale, I have controlled 4 minutes and 30 seconds of a 5-minute round. And I don't think Jan Blachowicz landed a single significant strike all round. This is... Again, like, there's a very real 10-8 argument there. I didn't do that in real time. I probably should have, again, mea culpa. So... Then we get to the results, and we get this split draw. And nobody's happy. Nobody understands what's going on. And it's it's a mess. Um, hang on, let me double-check the judges here. Because I, our forty seven forty seven comes from, uh, I believe that was Sal D'Amato, that semi-sentient can of tomato soup that still collects a paycheck to judge fights and then the score for Blahovic uh again I struggle with giving Blahovic the first I really do I I don't I don't get it I do not understand giving Blahovic the first I would need to rewatch just that round a, a little bit to really kind of dial in but while it was a competitive round I just I thought on have won it uh so there's that Um, this is bad. This is bad. This is bad for the light heavyweight division. Again, I mentioned this. The UFC is now pivoting to Glover Teixeira, who kind of got the shaft in all this. Now he does get to fight in Rio for the belt against Jamal Hill. Again, kind of screwing over Anthony. Bless Anthony Smith, man. He was on the analyst desk for this event. So post-fight when they're doing the analyst desk bit that's Laura Sanko Anthony Smith Dominic Cruz and I believe John and John Anik had come up there because the the event's done so they're doing the post-fight press and then those guys are up just kind of you know, doing the analyst desk talking head thing the news breaks about what had just been about what had just happened and there's Anthony Smith having to process in real time I just got screwed like I'm not getting paid I lost my fight because reasons I mean, I, look, I get you couldn't do a Smith and, T- and a rematch. Teixeira literally knocked Anthony Smith's teeth out when they fought. But... He, fighters, man... They just get the rawest end of every deal. They just do. And it sucks. Um, here's the only potentially good thing that, that comes out of this. I really hope Glover Teixeira made them pay. I hope Glover Teixeira made them, you know, made them give him something extra for that fight. I really hope he did. Um, after the fight, Blahovic says, I know I didn't win. I'm not sure I lost, but I know I didn't win. And, I mean, he'd just been, you know, on the wrong end of a, a 10-8. So, you know, bless him. Ankolaev was pissed. I mean, that's not a guy that gets pissed very often. He was pissed. Um, he did the, you know, Peter yawn thing where I don't know if I'm going to fight for these people again, if this kind of crap is going to happen, I'm the champion, where's my belt, uh, and again, I understand his point, he has a much better claim to winning this fight than Blahovic does, by a pretty significant margin, and yet, here we are, um, neither of them got the other half of their paycheck, another thing that needs to be addressed in this situation. Like, the judges just cut your pay in half. Ain't life grand. Um, About the fight itself. Again, the, the leg kicks from Blahovic were great. Unfortunately, the same problem that he's always had showed up again. His takedown defense against the fence is pretty good. But it can be overcome. And when he's on his back, all he does is close guard. It's a real problem for him. Like, a real problem. Uh, as far as on Kalev goes, dude, okay, l- look, I thought you won. But you made this a much bigger, a much closer fight than it needed to be fighting the way you chose to fight. I'm not saying the best thing to do would have been to come out and immediately try to take Blahovich down. Maybe you wanted to set stuff up. You know, there's a lot of reasons, right? I mean, these guys got bumped from a three-round fight to a five-round fight on two weeks' notice. Maybe you're worried about your gas tank under those circumstances, and I don't blame you. But the takedown attempts he was credited with, attempts only, mind you, in round two, were not really attempts. That was more boy, my legs are hurt. Let me close distance any way I can to stem the offense. That's not the same as a real takedown attempt. He got a takedown late in the third. um was it the third? I think it was the third. He got a he got one kind of briefly, like near the end of the round, I seem to recall, and he'd already lost he'd already lost that round by again most people's reckoning. Uh, And what would have been my, what has been my reckoning, you know, now that I've thought about it and kind of rewatched it. So, but if you had that capability and if your grappling was so much better than Blahovich's, and it was, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that at this point, you just, you made some bad decisions in this fight, man. There's no other way to say it. You just made bad decisions. And fighting professional fighting is determined largely by which fighter makes fewer decisions. Fewer bad decisions. You know, some better decision making here? Like if he starts wrestling earlier in round two, like before the leg kicks start adding up, we we're talking about a very different fight here. And oh man. Uncle I have's coach just animated. Very emotional, screaming at him between rounds, What are you doing? You know, you should be ending this. This guy doesn't have anything for you. And when you started to see Uncle Iev getting the better of things on the ground and in the clinch and everything, like, you start to understand this coach, like, Why are you out here playing around? Why are you giving this guy a chance? And it cost him. It cost him big time, man. So. Much as I think the judges screwed this up, and I do, I'm not going to pretend that... there's a, The next fight we're going to talk about between Patty Pimblett and Jared Gordon is a little bit different in some respects, but... It's not like I think Onkolaev put everything that he could have possibly put out there and just kind of got hosed. There's some things he definitely could have done differently to have avoided this. Or at least made it mu- a much more obvious screw-up on the part of the judges, right? I'm convinced you have to treat combat sports judges like they're five. Like, that, you have to do things like you're playing to an audience of, you know, elementary school children. That's what you have to do with these people, I think. So, wanted to throw that out there. So now, in theory... Uh, First pay-per-view of 2023, we will get the old uh, another fight for the vacant belt. You know what? Because I like chaos, let's have something crazy happen there, huh? Just something stupid. I don't know what, but let's just have something stupid happen. It will amuse me. And if the only amusement I'm going to get out of this sport half the time is watching its world burn, then I will. I will kick up my feet, and start making s'mores, man. So, that was your main event. Big letdown of an ending. A lot of people pissed off. For good reason. And Dana White just surly at the post-fight presser, man. Somebody asked him about the James Krause thing, and he just got... First of all, it's kind of comical. You might remember that, like, two, three weeks ago, you know, when the Derek Minor thing happened, the UFC, you know, we did our internal investigation, no one did anything wrong. We didn't find anything out of the ordinary. Cut to last night, and yeah, people are going to federal prison. Like, this is why no one believes you about anything. Do you understand that? This is why no one believes you about anything. Well, I wish I could say that, because there's a mountain of evidence to support that position. But there's the UFC files. And, well, they're just... You know, I'm not gonna say anything bad about them, because they're clearly damaged people, and it's just not nice to insult them. But, this is why no one who actually pays attention to anything takes Dana White seriously about most of this crap. Because he's a promoter. They're professional liars. I've said this for a long time now. And then I stand by it. So. Again, in theory, the light heavyweight belt will be decided between Jamal Hill and Glover Teixeira. All right. Yeah, that's a thing we can do. I mean... No, sorry, to the point about Dana being surly. Like, he also said, like, why do you think I would know anything about the investigation into, you know, James Krause and betting and everything and... As soon as Dana gets annoyed, people stop asking him real questions. Like they barely ask him real questions to begin with. If he shows any resistance to what's being asked, people like the the people these post-fight pressers and whatnot, they just fold like 80% of the time, 80 90% of the time. They just fold. There's no, they don't push, they don't ask hard questions. Um yeah, they just they don't do it. They don't do it um there's a lot of i'm gonna wind up talking about mma media in general in a little bit here but there's a very serious degree to which a lot of the criticism that is brought on mma media is like they bring it on themselves they really do so again with and i know the ufc is careful about who they credential and everything so i'm aware that there's kind of an ecosystem here but still The fact that there's an ecosystem at all, rather than, uh, you know, more transparency and a little bit more actual commitment to questioning and sort of the journalism side of being a media member from people who sort of claim to be journalists. I don't, for the record. I have to say that on occasion. Like, I'm not a journalist. I'm like the, the most charitable description you could call me is like in the in the most academically pedantic sense I'm a reporter because I report what I see but I don't I don't consider myself that again I'm a guy with a podcast so I'm again somewhere in the media space but I, I I'm very careful about what I about what I call myself in that respect but anyway that was your main event unfortunate not a great fight it wasn't a great fight, and uh, again, uncle I, have, I thought won. Didn't think it was all that complicated either, but hey, you yeah, got was it Derek Cleary who scored this thing for Blahovich? I need to find this out. One second. No, Cleary wasn't Cleary. It was fricking Bell, Mike Bell. Yeah. Whatever value you want to give the media scores, for the record. I only found like two that were in favor of Blahovich. Again, how much value you want to give those things, I leave entirely up to you. And if you want to say it's very little, I don't blame you one iota. But if you want to know kind of where the temperature is, as a general rule, that's where it is. All right. So that's that co-main event. Let's talk about Patty Pimblett, shall we? So Patty Pimblett had a pretty lousy, pretty lousy week. He begins his illustrious descent into sort of heeldom on his podcast by having Dana White present and then spending a few minutes railing against MMA media. Uh, this is largely bootlicking, for the record. He is just parroting a lot of Dana's positions because Dana is the boss. And I understand that when your boss has as much sway over you as Dana does over fighters, there's a degree of deference that has to be paid in some respects, but this was straight up... Again, this is like borderline sycophanty. And in particular, he gets mad at Ariel Helwani because Dana White doesn't like Ariel Helwani. Uh, he, claim, he does the, you know, these people are vultures. They're making money off of fighters while talking to Dana White. Oh, God. The, it, it physically pains me sometimes. Um, yeah, Dana, of course, agrees with a lot of this. In fact, at one point, um, I think Pimblet mentions, you know, maybe we should be paid for interviews, you know, to be on the MMA Hour or whatnot. not. <sighs> While talking to Dana White. Okay. Mr. Pemblett. You goober. This is the man more responsible than just about anyone. Certainly more responsible than anyone active in the UFC management now that the fertitas are gone. He is the most responsible party for the fighters in general making less... Being paid less than 20% of the yearly revenue of the UFC. You are not paid what you're worth, and it's mostly his fault. This is the man largely responsible for fighters not having sponsors in the UFC. Allegedly, in an effort to clean up the presentation, never mind that the frickin' canvas they're fighting on still looks like a NASCAR decal, which was your big gripe, by the way, about fight shorts. Now they're just fighting on it, the only difference is the UFC gets paid, not the fighters, and then they don't care about presentation anymore, do they? This is the man, you know, largely responsible for bringing in USADA to just step all over you all the time, unilaterally. And here you are, saying that we need to make—never mind that—oh, by the way, yeah— you know, the, uh, the the MMA media, you know, they make money off of fighters while talking to a man who has made more money off of more fighters than probably any promoter in history. And yet, I'll include guys who, boxing scumbags, who made a lot of money. They never quite had the machinery that Dana does. For good reason, because boxers have some legal protections. You're, com- you're complaining that you should be paid for interviews while this guy is, you know, running a, uh, a combat sports puppy mill? That's all the Contender Series is, by the way, in case you haven't recognized that fact. It's a puppy mill. We will sign a bunch of guys at 12 and 12 for six fights, and we'll just see what pans out. The 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 lack of self awareness of these two jackasses talking about this in the way that they were doing it, like Joshua Fabia might have more self awareness than these two. Much as I hate referencing that guy, you'll get the joke. Well, as dumb as that is, and it was, Ariel Helwani decided he was not. He did not take kindly to being. Arguably slandered. Certainly poked at verbally. And on the MMA hour that day. He decided to fire back. I don't blame him one bit. He brought up how Patty Pimblett was. You know. Trying to get him. Trying to get more interview time on the MMA hour. He brought up. All of Dana White's failed ventures. (laughs) You know. For the record, the comparisons between Vince McMahon and Dana White just get more and more stark. Like they make more sense the longer that Dana White's in this business. For those of you unfamiliar with this, um, Vince McMahon tried to do a lot of things before he start before he bought the WWF at the time, I believe, or was it WWF by then? Either way, I forget I forget the exact timeline of the name change. So forgive me. But before he bought that promotion from his father, he tried to promote other things and just wasn't all that successful. He became very successful in the professional wrestling sphere and then immediately decided he didn't really want to do this. I shouldn't say immediately, but he spent a lot. So, okay, if we count the 80s. Yeah, he spent 40 years. Give or take better part of 30 if nothing else trying to do something other than promote professional wrestling everyone remembers the XFL he had the bodybuilding federation he tried to get off the ground he had the football thing Uh, what was the other thing he did he tried to get a movie studio up and running that failed Um, that other big creative endeavor I can't remember what it was it's annoying me now but I mean he just he spent a lot of time trying to find something else that he could do and be successful at because you know, for whatever reason you want to attribute this for as far as the psychology goes maybe he was just driven and competitive and wanted to find something else to try and conquer fair enough maybe he just hates professional wrestling for any number of reasons who could blame him who knows but he spent a lot of time trying to do things other than professional wrestling and never succeeding. Dana White has tried to do a lot of things other than promote the UFC, believe it or not. He has tried to promote boxing. That failed miserably because boxers have legal protections and Dana can't use the same predatory tactics that he does with MMA fighters. He tried to do a boxing reality show. That failed. He tried to do, you may not remember this, uh, Ariel reminded me of it in his bit, so I'm going to quote him here, but he tried to do a surfing competition television show. Like This guy has tried to do a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. And unless it was the UFC, usually with the financial backing of the Fertitta Brothers, he's not succeeded. Now, he has been wildly successful at promoting the UFC. And I give him his flowers at that. Same way I give Vince his flowers for making the WWF slash WWE a big deal. Like, that doesn't happen without them. Dana's work ethic was tireless when the UFC was struggling. And he was trying. Like, nobody worked harder than that guy for a long time. I don't begrudge him his success in the general sense. But he has not really succeeded at other endeavors he has tried. We'll see. Hey, look. Maybe Power Slap hits. Right? Maybe. Uh, I don't know that it will. I doubt it, frankly, but who knows? Crazier... I can't say crazier stuff than that has found long-term success, but it it wouldn't be all that much out of step with, you know, some of the stuff that finds a purchase on net, on broadcast television. So, who knows? My hunch is not, but who knows. So, Ariel just, again, he decides he's not going to take it. and I, Again, I don't blame him. And this starts turning the crowd on Paddy Pimblett before this event even starts. Now, when he gets to his wa like, he got booed at the weigh-ins. And I think the presser, too. Like, Pimblett got a pretty noticeable mixed reaction, almost skewing negative. Like people weren't happy with And then Pemblot, after the fact, came out and said, you know, I just really wanted to have a beer with Ariel, and I thought he was my friend. Buddy? Let's do a couple of things here real fast. And I hope you listen, because I've said this a lot. Other people with much bigger platforms than me have said this a lot. There are a couple of people in this space who are not your friend, who you might mistake for your friend. The promoter and the media. These people are not your friends. I mean this. Understand me here, please. On the off chance any fighter is listening to this. You can be friendly with them. That's very possible. And advantageous as it happens to be. You can be on good terms. But the promoter is only going to be friendly with you in as much as your interests align. As soon as they deviate you are no longer friends. Which means you were never friends to begin with. And let's... Promoters are not... They might lie about this, or they might, you know, hem and haw about it, but promoters know this. Dana White is not friends with fighters. He tried that briefly, and it kind of backfired. Like, he's not friends with any one of the UFC fighters. He might be friendly with a lot of them probably is but he's not your friend the minute the very minute your interests diverge from his he will throw you under the bus and he has demonstrated this time and time and time again I beg of you learn from history lest you repeat it as to the media their job is to cover the sport does not mean to give you they do not exist to promote you they do not exist to inflate your ego they do not exist to make your life easier this has been observed a lot and it's very true fighters for as tough as they are in the cage and in training and like the, the makeup of people who fight professionally is remarkable like what what these people do is genuinely amazing Like, if you've never been punched in the face, I've been punched in the face. Not... Never quite full power. A lot of this is sparring. I've I haven't been in an actual fight in, like... Jeez, when was I in a legitimate fight? Been a long time. Probably since, like, junior high. Or something. Even then, like, that wasn't really a... Point being... Like, I've been hit in the face. It sucks. I've never been hit in the face full force by someone who's trying to take my head off. Thankfully. And these, these people can take that kind of abuse, they can go to the point of physical exhaustion where their bodies are shutting down, and they keep going. And they do incredible things. And that is, again, that is amazing. And it needs to be acknowledged, and these people, for the the vast majority of them... Have the thinnest skin you could imagine. At, if you ever get a chance to ask anyone in MMA media, ask them which fighter doesn't. Ask them for an example of a fighter that doesn't like them and why. And you will hear some of the weirdest stuff. Some of the most, like, milk toast comments that you think are milk toast are the ones that kind of that get under their skin for some reason. And I don't know. Again, maybe it just any number of reasons. Like, it's all in their head. And fair enough. But these people... like, Look at what... Look at the questions that are asked of any other professional athlete at a post-fight presser. Like, look, you look at what a losing NFL quarterback has to answer for. And look at what's written about them. Look at what's said about them. And... and People in the MMA space, like like, MMA media, is too negative. Like, get, get out of your little bubble, people. Pay attention to some of the other stuff that goes on. Again, I beg of you. So, to the fighters, again, the media is not your friend. They can be friendly, and having some of them that you know again are friendly with you that can be very advantageous. But you'll find a point where your interests diverge from theirs. And they're doing a job... You, you're you kind of a job to them more than anything, right? Again, you can be on good terms with the people you work with. But it's a job. And if their job says, you know... You lost a fight. And I need to tell people that. Or, you know, we've talked a little bit and I I don't have anything against you but you're still an up and coming fighter and I have to make room for any number of things. I have other contractual obligations. Like they're not your friend. Please stop mistaking them as such. Doesn't mean you have to be angry and hostile, but understand the difference. You don't have to be angry and hostile towards your promoter, but your promoter is not your friend either. Heck, your manager isn't your friend half the time in this sport. Sell you down the river, man. Most of the, Again, most of the time. So, so yeah, that was a thing. Then, we arrive at fight night, and when Paddy gets his walkout, the crowd is very pro-Pimblet. Ultimately, Paddy Pimblet defeats Jared Gordon via unanimous decision 29-28 across the board, and this is utter... This is crap. This is just crap. Not that Pimblet won necessarily. I think you can see rounds two and three for Pimblet. I think you can. I gave Gordon all three rounds, for the record. And I actually stand by that. Now, the third is very close, and you could give that to Pimblet. Because Gordon does a lot of control, not a lot of damage. Granted, Pimblet doesn't actually do a ton of damage either, but again, you could argue. Round two was a little bit weird. I thought Gordon had it, but I'll concede that if you squint hard enough, you could argue it for Pimblett. I'll, so 29-28 for Pimblett, in and of itself, is not an end of the world scorecard. I, and to be clear, I thought Gordon won. I thought he won all three rounds. So when I say that, I can see when you have two rounds that are, especially the third, that's, you know, they're close. If they're close, they can, if you can make an argument either way, then you can't be upset when a scorecard goes either way kind of deal. And with a third that I think definitely qualifies, and a second that, well, you could maybe argue is close enough to qualify, a 29-28 for Patty Pimblett is, I don't agree with it at all, at all, at all, at all, at all. But I don't think giving Pimblet rounds 2 and 3 is the end of the world. Here's the problem. Two of the judges for Patty Pimblet in this fight... um, In fact, the judges in question... So, Ron McCarthy. uh, So, Chris Lee, I think, had the the only acceptable scorecard out of all three of them. Chris Lee gave Gordon the first, and then Pimblet rounds 2 and 3. Again... I don't agree with this. But I don't think that's an unacceptable scorecard, ultimately. Ron McCarthy and Doug... Dude, Doug Clucky, man. I gotta talk about him in a minute. You know what? No. Let's talk about him now, shall we? So this idiot. Douglas Crosby, who I am calling Doug Clucky from now on. Because this guy. You may not know that this happened because it's Bellator, but Friday evening there was a Bellator card, and it was a decent card. Um, I'm not going to go over it in detail here. Uh, Two things. One, Patchy Mix continues to... That guy, I believe, has been an underdog in every one of his fights throughout this uh, Grand Prix he's part of. But he's won all of his fights, and he finished uh, a guy that I thought m- might have taken the whole thing. So, good on Patchy Mix going into the finals. That guy has been, he's done a lot of good work, and a lot of people have counted him out most of the way. To be fair, so did, I didn't think he'd beat Kyoji Horiguchi, and he did. So, good on him. And I mean that, good on Patchy Mix. The main event for this particular Bellator card was uh, Halfian Stotz. Ralphian stotts I forget how he pronounces that which is a weird thing to say but forgive me I just too many too many R names and Danny Sabatello and there was a bit a little bit of heat on this one they don't like each other uh at all and Sabatello Danny Sabatello is in actuality what people think Colby Covington is as far as a fighter goes like all uh all bluster, all pomp and circumstance, and then just the most boring fights. Colby, you may not like Colby Covington, but his fights are not really boring. He does a lot of work. So, for this fight in particular, between Stots and Sabatello. Everything I've seen online from people who I know, few of them I respect. Everyone had it 48-47. For Stotts. Sabatello had. A fair amount of control. But zero offense. Bear in mind. Like. I mean. Zero ground and pound. This was lay and pray. Harkening back to like. Oh four. Like, that's how bad this was. In terms of his. Like, his wrestling is good. is very good. But. He doesn't build off of it. And Stotts did damage. So. 3-2 for Stotts is what I saw everyone have, including two of the judges. The third judge in question is old Doug Clucky here, who not only thought Sabatello won, but gave him all five rounds. This is a historically bad card. Okay, understand something here. Never before, and I mean this, NEVER has the fighter on the wrong end of a split decision been given all five rounds before in the UFC or Bellator. This is historically unprecedented. This is a historically bad scorecard turned in by Clucky here. And in a sane sport... And MMA is fundamentally insane, by the way. I've argued this in the past, actually, that there's, on a fundamental institutional level, MMA is insane. But in a sane sport, someone, some judge making that bad a call, some referee getting something that wrong, would not get on a plane, fly from Connecticut to Las Vegas, and then 24 hours later, screw over Jared Gordon. You don't, you should not, you should not get to screw up that badly. That badly. 50-45 for Danny Sabatello is incompetent. I mean that. Like, you have to fundamentally not understand what you're doing to arrive at that conclusion. Then, again, flies to Vegas, judges this fight, and he. I'm yelling at Clucky here a lot, but I'm going to. As a. Ron McCarthy here screwed the pooch pretty badly, too, for the record. The, the, the lesser McCarthy, by the way. And Big John's a little bit of a chore on commentary, but I'll take him over this Joker. Um, both Doug Crosby and Ron McCarthy gave Patty Pimblett the, fir- the first round. And I'm sorry. You're idiots. And I weep for those around you in your personal lives. I don't know how you can do this. I don't understand how you could watch Patty Pimblett get his jaw jacked for like four minutes and constantly get hit and have to back up and get bombed on and decide, you know what? No. He won the round. This is a... I mean this in all sincerity. Okay? I'm not doing a bit about this. I'm not even really exaggerating my opinion here. You are so bad at your job, you should not be allowed to do it. That's how bad you are at this. Right? You want to argue... You want to give Pimblet the second? Okay. Again, I don't necessarily agree, but I can see that. Oh, and by the way, both of those idiots... They did give Jared Gordon the third, which is maybe his least compelling round. But the round where he just bombs on Pimblett for most of it. No. Pimblett. If I ever get the opportunity at Doug Crosby, I might just kick him in the head. My head kicks aren't anything to write home about either. Like like my hips are a little bit wonky. But if I ever, like, I don't even know what... like. I've seen him, actually. I do know what he looks like. Uh, like, somebody needs to just kick him. And, and I mean this. Like, if you've suffered enough head trauma to where you think Patty Pimblett won the first round of this fight, maybe more head trauma is necessary to reverse the problem. Or at least exacerbate it to the point when even the frickin' athletic commissions can acknowledge that it's a problem. By the way... Here's what really grinds my gears about this. Again, 29-28 Pimblet, I don't agree with at all. But giving him rounds 2 and 3 is not out of the realm of possibility. But giving him the first is asinine. And there will be, to be very clear about this... Okay, also, for whatever it's worth about this point. I'm not saying it's worth anything. Only one media outlet scored this for Patty Pimblett. Only one. Pimblett got screwed here. Uh, sorry, sorry. Gordon got screwed here. Straight up. Like the fact that two of those judges just gave gave Pimblett the first round. Gordon had no hope if he didn't finish him. Like that's. That's borderline criminal. That is borderline criminal behavior. And of course, there will be no consequences. Then this, more than anything, I think is what kind of grinds my gears about this. What do you think is going to happen to Doug Crosby after this, huh? Do you think he will be called to answer for his absolutely ass-backwards terrible scoring? Hmm? No. Do you think athletic commissions will seriously question him at all? No. Do you think most people even know, will even, re- like, athletic commissions have zero transparency. They have, like, they're basic. If I have a gripe with athletic commissions, the state athletic commissions, and I have several. But here's my big one, I think. And the more I thought about this, the more I think this one is really what kind of sticks out. They're basically autocratic. They're autocrats. They're bureaucratic autocrats, actually. Just a fun little combination of words. They're appointed by the governor of whatever state. Now, this will vary a little bit state to state, but I looked this up about Nevada, actually, believe it or not, because I got pissed off at the Nevada State Athletic Commission at one point. So I looked this up. Do you know what it takes to remove someone from the Nevada State Athletic Commission? I don't mean for them to resign. That's on them. What it takes to remove them. There's only two things. If they are absent from their duties, from their duties, like, I think it's four weeks in a row. I have to double-check this. But there's there's a limit of you can miss this many... Meetings in a row and then we, then we can look at removing you or the governor can fire you and that's it that's it these idiots on the athletic commissions they have no accountability they are accountable to one person as a general rule again there's a little bit of variability state to state but as a general rule they are only subject to the whims of the governor Which means they don't care about public pressure unless that pressure actually reaches the governor. So no one is going to care about this. If you're a member of the Nevada State Athletic Commission, as long as you show up, you can probably even show up drunk. As long as you show up to the meetings, until the governor says get away, until the governor says go away, you can still have that job. There is no question of competency. At all. And uh, it, it's a little bit gross. It's a little bit gross. So, and and none of these people, none of them. I don't care what state you're in. Like different different commissions are better than others, depending on what kind of metric you want to use, I suppose. But none of them are transparent with the with anyone. Doug Crosby will be assigned to score another fight. He'll he'll be judging again this weekend. I would bet a lot of money. There will be no fallout from him being so bad. at. You can't be this bad at any other job. You can't. You could not be this bad at any other job and still have that job. And yet, here's Doug Clucky. Now, commissions don't like criticism. They don't have to be transparent they don't have to they don't they do not they shield judges routinely from criticism they defer to promoters which is actually oh god all right mild bit of history here for everyone involved and then i swear we're going to move on athletic commission state athletic commissions were instituted ...in the 1900s, especially later 1900s. God, I was born in the late 1900s, so... (sighs) Sorry, that sounds like... ...latter half of the 20th century, if you want to think about it that way. The state athletic commissions were instituted to be governing bodies to protect fighters... ...to help root out corruption and basically clean up boxing in particular... Because for a long time, you can especially look at this throughout like the 60s I think this was pretty bad then um, and for a long like or boxing was associated predominantly with organized crime and a lot of illegal gambling. in an effort to clean it up, state athletic commissions were kind of inst- were instituted. And again, different states went about this slightly differently. There's a whole thing that's a lot of fun if you want to look into the history of it. Feel free to do so if you're so inclined. But their job is to protect fighters. It's their job, in theory, to ensure the integrity of the sport. And I can't believe I said that with a straight face, but I did. And to protect fighters from predatory influences. And now we have promoter, we have athletic commissions just bending over for the UFC going, no! Of course! Of course, what you pay fighters is proprietary information. Oh, I want to... That is one of the dumbest arguments ever put forth. Short of like flat earthers in the current era. Like, Do you understand what proprietary information actually is? You don't, do you? You clearly have no idea, or you wouldn't be making this case. Well, Okay, let me rephrase that. Or, you're a lawyer trying to drag out legal fees and make a spurious argument. Disclosed fighter pay is one of the only ways fighters know what their peers are being paid, and can therefore establish a little bit of their own value. And the UFC has now got a bunch of bureaucrats in various state athletic commissions to go along with the idea that, no, this is privileged information not to be available and we're just screwing over fighters. Ugh. You know, there are times when I look at this stupid sport, and I love it but it's stupid. And I seriously question the sort of the morality of watching it given its current state of ethics. I mean that in all sincerity. I don't have a lot of crises of conscience about watching MMA. I have made peace with a lot of the stuff that some people struggle with. But every now and then something like this happens where the promotional darling Patty Pimblet gets a scorecard two scorecards that he absolutely did not deserve for reasons that will be as about that will be about as transparent as mud and Pimblet on the mic afterwards going no the fight wasn't close i won the first two rounds it makes you, almost makes you wonder, you know, if I were conspiratorially minded, one might say he knew what some of those scorecards were going to be beforehand. I won the first two rounds, then I coasted on the third because I knew I won the first two rounds, and hey, wasn't that fight of the night? And no, it wasn't, you idiot. Not even close. Like, that wasn't fight of the night. That, that wouldn't have been fight of the night on the worst card all year, just straight for the record buddy I don't care what you think the worst card all year was we can we could find it if we wanted to i'm not going to but we could even on that card this would not be fight of the night um he got booed out of the arena basically everyone thought gordon won everyone uh so he had a bad week man he had a bad week popularity wise like he took he took a lot of ls, he took a lot of ls, and you know what let's let's talk about the l he should have taken here, setting aside all that the fight itself Paddy Pimblett has one area of the game where he is very good, exactly one. He is good about finding the back, and he is good about finishing when he gets there. That's the only thing he's very good at. Now, he's a pretty good fence wrestler. Not great, but he's pretty good. He got got out-fence wrestled by Jared Gordon here, but, you know, that could have gone a lot worse for him in the clinch against the fence if he wasn't as good as he was. So... In in fairness to Mr. Pimblet, those are the two areas he's good at. He's not that good off of his back. He tricks you into thinking he is by being active, but that's not the same as being good. His defense is porous to the point of almost being non-existent. His head does not move when he enters exchanges at all. His chin is up in the air. Visibly. He exits on straight lines. He's gotten away with this to this point largely by being... By having a pretty good chin and careful matchmaking. Gordon rattled him in that first round, guys. More than once. Gordon's not a big power puncher. A better puncher would have given him serious problems. Now, you might be saying to yourself, well, is it okay, but, you know, plenty of fighters have issues. True. What's so, what 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 is, you know, kind of so damning about this? Well, let's talk about Mr. Pimblett for just a second here in a little bit different context, shall we? Without looking it up, can you tell me how many fights Patty Pimblett has? If you didn't know, I will tell you. He has had 23 fights. That's a lot of fights. Do you want to take a guess about how long he has been doing this? He made his professional debut in 2012. He has been fighting for over 10 years. It was October of 12. Over 10 years, he has been fighting. 23 fights over that period of time if you can't move your head after 10 years and over 20 fights, buddy, you ain't fixing that problem. He's young in terms of age. He's 20. He's not even 30. He's 27. But 10 years of wear and tear and that many fights, I... Look, man, at this point, if you haven't learned it, I almost hesitate to say you're you ever will. And here's the real problem for you, Paddy boy. You've had your 3. When the UFC has someone that they like, and you can do this throughout their history, the more recent history in particular. But when they have a fighter that they like, you get 3. You get 3 fights and then the gloves kind of come off. They did this with Sage Northcutt. They did this with Darren Till. They did this with Conor McGregor. They did this with... um. Uh, who was that other guy? They really wanted to be something. And I'm going back a little bit further. They did this with Eric Silva. Not the Eric Silva from this card, the Brazilian Eric Silva. Um, There's a lot of examples... They will give you three or so fights. I say three because sometimes it's two, sometimes it's four, but on average it is three. You get three. And then they stop giving you as favorable fights. And Paddy Pimblett has had his three, and he's fighting in a very tough division. Unless the UFC decides to give him two or three more soft touches... And let me be clear, I don't say I don't say that Jared Gordon is a can. He's not a can. He should have won this fight. Jared Gordon's a good fighter. Jared Gordon is not a ranked fighter. And has never been especially close to being a ranked fighter. I say that with respect to him. Because he I said he's very good. Very good? He's good. He's good to kind of borders on very good. But he's never been ranked. And he's just a he's just a good guy to have on the roster. And I, I dude, if you're good enough to be in the UFC consistently and how long's he's been there for a while. Yeah, he debuted for the UFC in two thousand seventeen and he has technically speaking a winning record. Like he had a three fight winning streak at one point. Like he's good. But if you're struggling this much with Jared Gordon like this is going to go bad for you when you take a step up. Like these are problems you should not have at this point. Um I saw someone mention that you know the UFC wants I'm going to talk about this next guy in a second or two, but the UFC wants Patty Pimblett to be the next Conor McGregor. And he's probably just the next Darren Till. He's got some glaring issues with his game. And at this point, if you haven't fixed some of that fundamental stuff, like, look, moving your head is not easy. Like The greats, even the very good fighters, they make it look reflexive and easy. Because they're very good, or great. It's a simple thing, but it's not an easy thing. But if you haven't figured that out, if you haven't implemented that after 10 years of doing this, like, the cement's kind of set at that point. Uh, at best, he's got, like, two more years to really figure some of this stuff out before the physical stuff is a set in cement as the mental stuff. And then you're just, you're just screwed at that point. Like, you are who you are. You don't get reinventions after that point. You don't find fighters north of 30 all that often who reinvent themselves in any kind of meaningful way. They might figure out a strategy that uses their skill set differently, but they don't change, really. And, I mean, look, they might try to give Patty a ranked opponent next. There's no one, I don't even mean in like the top five. That would be a bit ridiculous. People, there's nobody in like 11 to 15 that I think he can beat. Like, this is lightweight. You know, the 11, 11 to 15 is guys like uh, Demiris Magulov. I think Armin Saryukin's 9. Um what else is there? Jalen Turner. Dude, Turner would mess Pimblet up, man. He would mess him up. I mean, again, like, Ismagulov would tear him to pieces. Saryukian would tear him to pieces. Who else is in that space at the moment? I think Tony Ferguson's there. Dude, even this version of Tony Ferguson probably beats him. Uh, Moikano, dude. Moikano would tear him apart. Conor McGregor is 14, that's comical. Tony Ferguson is 15. So, I would favor Tony to beat him. That said, given Tony's career trajectory at the moment, I wouldn't be shocked about that, and McGregor shouldn't be ranked at all. Dan Hooker sitting at 11, dude. Imagine what Dan Hooker would do to Patty Pimblett. I mean that. Think about it for just a second you put rangy sniping, accurate, mobile, tough as nails, Dan Hooker in there with this guy. Oof. Oof. That's a bad night for Paddy Pimblett. Like these are issues he should have had ironed out by this point in his career, and that's the troubling part. Uh, that really should be what troubles all of you about this. All right. So, yeah, that's where we stand. Jared Gordon got screwed. Patty Pimblett got a decision I don't think he deserved. Especially the way it came about. And even under the best of circumstances, here's the here's the last thing about Pimblett. Um, He's been beefing with the guy we're going to talk about in a second, Ilya Teporia. Teporia fights at featherweight most of the time. They've been beefing for a while. Like, they don't like each other at all. After after seeing what Taporia did in his fight, and again, we'll talk about it. Dude, Paddy Pemblin, as far as Taporia goes, turned into Homer Simpson fading back into the bushes, man. Just, he should stay as far away from that guy as possible. Because like, Taporia's fought at lightweight before. He's better at featherweight. I think that's more natural to his frame, but he can fight at lightweight. He would. That's skill-wise, like, that's not even a fair fight, to the extent that a fair fight exists. that's a, that, that borders on a mismatch. Like, Deporia would do bad things to him. So, we'll see how much longer the UFC chooses to try and soft-pedal the guy, but... You know, sucking up to the boss might have some benefit, I suppose. Like, bad scorecards going your way. Alright. Spent a lot of time talking about that, because there was some news that had to be... I didn't want to give Patty, the Patty stuff a whole other segment later on in the show, so that just kind of got rolled into that. The rest of this should be faster. Catchweight fight. Santiago Ponzinibbio was to fight Robbie Lawler. They've been trying to make that fight for like six years at this point. Um, He instead fights Alex Morono. Morono steps in after Lawler gets injured. We get a good little fight for a couple of rounds. Morono's landing the bigger punches, but Morono starts slowing down a bit. Uh, Some of the leg kicks and body attacks of Ponzinibbio are starting to get to him. Third round, Ponzanibio probably needs a finish. I had it one apiece going into the third, but out of curiosity, um, not listed, huh? Fair enough. Uh, anyway, well, he he could have easily been down two rounds. Uh, Ponzanibio just finds it, man. He's able to find a right hand that badly hurts. Morono follows up with another one, gets the stoppage. Pretty needed win for Ponzinibbio here. Fun little fight. I mentioned him a minute ago, but we're going to talk about Darren Till. And we got to have a serious talk about Darren Till here, everybody. Because DDP himself, uh, Drakis Duplessis. My South African accent is terrible, so I apologize if I offended anyone (laughs) trying to do a little bit of his accent there. Uh he beat the he pretty much beat up Darren Till. Um he beat the crap out of him in that first round. That first round could have been a 10-8. I didn't quite go there but he got Till down pretty easily, got him against the fence and was just pounding on him with lefts to the face. Um Duplessis, to his credit after the fact, he was kind of asked about it and he said, "No, I don't like I thought maybe there was an opportunity to stop it, but I don't think it should have been stopped." Because every time the ref told Till to respond to the position, Till responded. So, appreciate a little bit of candor there from Duplessis. But he does kind of punch himself out a little bit in that first round. Like, he he did a lot of work in that first round. Like, again, you want to call that a 10-8. I'm not disagreeing with you too much. Second round. Almost all on the feet. Duplessis looks a little bit tired. He's got a second round issue, I think, as a general rule. Like... He comes out of the gate pretty hard. Then he needs a good chunk of the second round to find the pace that he really settles into. And then when he settles into it, like, you can't deter him. Like, he just, he goes from that point. Like, he starts high, drops low, kind of comes back up and levels off a little bit if you were to, like, graph it out. Uh, But second round, better round for Till. I think he won the second round. Uh, Till starts landing some of his 1-2s, he's able to feint Duplessis back a little bit, Duplessis, an awkward guy. But Duplessis does find a little bit of success on occasion punching, he gets a takedown, he gets a takedown kind of late in the round, and I think this is where Till suffers his injury. Um, they tie up and he takes Till, like, backwards, partially over his knee, from a body lock. Gets on top, does a little bit of work, goes for a toehold late in the round before it ends. Uh, not the best toehold. Um, if you like, the way to finish a toehold properly, it, you need to not only have like the right grip, which is uh, there's some nuance to that. If you want to see how to do this properly, by the way, um, with visual aids, because all I'm doing is describing this, uh, the Teach Me Grappling YouTube channel. That is. Um, brian peterson who coach uh brian peterson coach peterson i forget his first name so forgive me um he's got a pretty good uh bit on youtube about the hold, how to properly do it and one of the better martial arts youtube channels out there by the way if you're curious anyway to finish it you actually want to not only have the proper grip cranking on the ankle you need to bring the foot towards uh the Uh, their hamstring or their butt like like you're doing a hamstring curl right you compress it down that actually tightens everything up and gets and is what can kind of get the toehold finished if you extend it out straight it actually takes pressure off which is always like for years i knew this and i'm watching kurt angle like go for the ankle lock in professional wrestling and then drop for the grapevine and extend the leg out like you're actually just taking pressure out of your hold but it was probably safer and it, you know, worked visually to give people a cue that, no, he's serious about this one. So, fair enough. But Duplessis was always, like, straight-legged. And you can't... It's really hard to finish a toll from there. You need some bend in the knee to kind of compress things and make sure the torque applies more properly. Third round, um, Duplessis is not playing around. Gets till down very, very quickly. Uh... Beats on him for a bit, Till fights his way up, gets Matt returned, gets his back taken, gets a face crank applied, he taps. Um, look, I've said this a little bit before, like, Dracus Duplessis is a very awkward fighter. Like, There's not a lot of stuff he does technically correct. His feet are a little bit close together, his hands are kind of a little bit awkward, and his movement doesn't look smooth. That's not always a bad thing. Like, the guy's on a long winning streak. He's only got two losses in his entire career. The first one, he fought a pretty good guy. He was fighting for EFC uh, Africa, which was a pretty decent little regional promotion out of South Africa, mostly. Um, And he ran into Gareth McClellan, who would go on to get some... He had a few fights in the UFC. And... Got caught in a guillotine in the third round. And this was when McClellan was just... You know, this was his fifth professional fight for Duplessis. McClellan was just a bit more senior at that point. Uh, Goes on a long winning streak again. In fact, beats Roberto Soldich in his KSW debut. Loses their rematch. Uh, So they're technically one and one. Then hasn't lost since. It includes now four fights in the UFC. uh, With three of those being finishes. He's not going to, again, his technique is not going to win any beauty contests. But uh, a lot of people after the fact are like, you know, when this guy fights someone like Robert Whittaker, he's going to get exposed. Like, okay, first of all, again, Bobby Knuckles is one of the best middleweights in the world. Like, he's no worse than the third. In fact, I think he beats Alex Pereira, for the record not saying that's easy, because I don't think Alex Pereira is an easy fighter. But stylistically, that's a bad fight for Pereira. Doesn't mean he couldn't win, but that's a bad matchup for him, because Whitaker fights at distance, got a lot of good bounce, can strike, has a five-round motor. People don't give Whitaker's gas tank enough credit, I think. He's got a good gas tank, and he can wrestle his butt off. And he mixes his wrestling well because he gets you worried about what's coming on about what's coming on the hands. Again, that's a tough fight for Pereira that I would favor Whitaker. And so again, you want to argue Whitaker like okay, Whitaker beats the majority of that division. Like the notion that Robert Whitaker would expose Drake's Duplessis as some rube. That's a little bit disingenuous to pretty much all of the relevant parties there. Like both Whitaker, yourself, for making the argument, and Duplo C. There are openings in his style that I have yet... That people will try to take advantage of. And if he has an answer for them kind of baked into what he does, then I'd love to see it. But, again, he's... This is a guy that, again, he's been on my radar since the KSW fights. Because beating Roberto Soldic is not an easy thing to do, and he did it. So, uh, he's, Darren Till was ranked number 10 coming into this, which was utterly ridiculous. All right? I, I'm I'm going to say some things about Darren Till in a minute or two. When I say him being ranked at 10 was ridiculous, that's not to say, that's just a statement of fact. He had one win at middleweight when he beat Kelvin Gastelum. Was on a two-fight losing streak. Was one and four in his last five fights. Granted, two of those were at welterweight. Still. And one of those losses, again, was to Robert Whittaker, maybe the best guy in the division. Okay, fair enough. Level of opposition matters. But he'd been out for a long time, and he had one win in the division since moving up to it. He was not the 10th contender. Not in any sane world. So Duplessis was, he was in the top 15, I think he was 14th, I have to double check, but he, he was in that like 11 to 15 range. He might get into the top 10 off of this, historically speaking, that tends to be what happens. He's going to fight some guys who are going to give him very different fights, and he might have to answer some questions that he has not had to answer yet, so, but he's good. His style may not be pretty, and you may not get a lot of it, but... He's pretty good. So we'll pay attention to him going forward. And, and, you know... Again, he just... I don't know this for a fact, but... He seems very candid whenever he does interviews. You know, he's not a big trash talker. He seems to just, you know, speak from the heart a little bit. And that's kind of a rarity. So even if he doesn't wind up being a, you know, top guy... I appreciate the way in which he conducts himself. Now let's talk about Darren Till. Mr. Till. You know, when Jeff Harris was part of the show, he he actually mentioned that Till was a hype job and that he should not have gotten that title fight with Tyron Woodley. And Jeff was right. I give, give Jeff all the credit in the world for that one. He saw that and he called it I didn't think that Till beat Stephen Thompson when they fought. And for Till after that fight, another reason I kinda compared Patty Pimblett to Darren Till for just a second here. Pimblett's post fight speech here after that Gordon fight when the crowd's booing him and everything. And he's like, Yeah, fight of the night, and you maybe you should be maybe I should be paid for this post fight interview, eh, Joe Rogan? And Joe Rogan just looks at him like, Shut up, you idiot. Um uh, That was roughly analogous, it might be analogous, to Darren Till, after eking out a controversial decision over Thompson, going, I don't care who they are, they can all effing get it. I'm the man, and just... uh, That at least had a decently hot crowd behind it, because they had that fight in Liverpool, I think. I think that was in Liverpool. It It was in England. Yeah, it was Liverpool, his hometown. So you at least that's something of a hot crowd there, but it was the most tone deaf, unearned kind of hype reaction that you'll ever find. Then Woodley chokes him out, Mosvadell knocks him out. He beats Gastelum and looks okay doing it, and when he goes back up to middleweight, but that's a. But then in 2020 he only fights once, loses to Whitaker. Fights once in 2021 when Derek Brunson beat the piss out of him. I mean, dude. was bad man Brunson just big brothered him all over the place now only the one fight after a year off due to injuries in 2022 and Dracus Duplessis kind of wallops him Darren Till's best wins his entire career are a dubious decision over Stephen Thompson a split decision win over Calvin Gastelum at middleweight when Gastelum really, you know, doesn't really have the frame for that. And what his stoppage over Cerrone when Cerrone shouldn't be fighting at welterweight? Like, can we have? Can we all have a collective kind of come to Jesus moment here? Darren Till was never all that good. I don't mean to say he sucked. Okay, I I don't mean that at all. But he was never, never what he was sold as. Ever. They really wanted him to be the next Michael Bisping. Never. Never was that. And now, one win in his last six fights. On a three-fight losing streak, finished in his last two. And a lot of injuries. Uh, he, met, I, I brought up the takedown in round two specifically because Till mentioned, as he was leaving the octagon, he he kind of shared a moment with Bruce Buffer as he was leaving. Just you know, I, I, and he said, and the the cameras kind of caught this as they're following him out. Like he said he tore his ACL. I believe it would have been in the second round on that takedown. If he's got to deal with another injury, like he was supposed to fight earlier this year and had an injury. His A little bit like Patty Pemblet in the following respect. Different skill sets, but at this point, the issues that are being exploited should not be as exploitable as they are. His takedown defense should not be this bad, guys. It just shouldn't. And if it is, that's a real problem. I don't know what the future holds for Till but I imagine we're probably pretty close to the end for him actually. I look, dude got a hype push from the UFC and he got he paid for that, man. They rushed him as fast as they could towards the top of the division trying to capitalize on his popularity in the UK. Because the UK market needed someone, they needed, they needed a personality, they needed a fighter, they needed, a, they needed somebody waving the flag, right? Without Michael Bisbing, the UK market dried up a little bit, a little bit. They needed someone to wave the flag for UK MMA. And Darren Till was the guy that the people got behind and the promotion got behind, and they pushed him too fast, and he paid for it, and he's still paying for it. Meanwhile, there's Leon Edwards with his, you know, like two losses in the UFC that no one that no one cares about because I made one of my brothers reminded me that I made this reference at some point talking about Leon Edwards. Like, it sucks, man. You know, it was pretty good, but no one's gonna care because it's Leon Edwards, and people don't care about Leon Edwards. And it's not that I think Leon Edwards is... Even then, I didn't think it was bad. But the dude had, like, no profile. And you know, to his credit, now he seems to be getting some of those flowers. And good good on him, right? Dude knocked out Kamaru Usman. In the fifth round of a fight, he was losing pretty decisively. Like, good on you, man. But you know, they, they got behind Till. They tried to give him the old push. And... This ain't pro wrestling, guys. You get to a certain point, and you have to be able to deliver the goods. At a certain point, he could no longer deliver the goods. That's where we are with him. All right. Featherweight. Dude. I mentioned this guy last week when I kind of hyped this. Ilya Taporia is really good. He beats the crap out of Bryce Mitchell. Finishes him with an arm triangle choke in the second round. Um, l- Look. Bryce Mitchell's a bit of a weirdo, okay? I don't have a lot of time for the intellectual arguings of flat earthers. I don't. And he's one of them. But Bryce Mitchell's a good fighter. Like, he's a scrappy wrestler. He's got good control. He's got good transitions. His passing is excellent. He's an offensive threat on the ground. Like, Bryce Mitchell was 15-0 and coming into this fight for a reason. He beat some good guys along the way. And Teporia smashed him. Teporia started bombing on him early. Just better technique. Had a low stance to kind of avoid the takedown and be ready to stop that. That low stance also doubles as helping you generate power because you get some more spring in your legs like that. You can root in and bomb on people. And he landed a lot of punches. He messed Bryce up in that first round. Second round, it just got worse. He knocked it down on the first round, I think, twice. Second round, again, he's dropping bombs. Mitchell tries to... He tries to take him down, and Teporia Cormier on commentary. was like, man, I I teach the six-year-old wrestling class how to do this. Like, somebody shoots from their knees and doesn't have any drive. You just pancake them over backwards. Like, Mitchell shoots in. Teporia sprawls enough to stop the arms from getting around him. Plants, and then Mitchell's, like, on his knees or one knee, and Teporia just ragdolls him straight back down to the mat. I mean... Yeesh. Uh, Continues beating him up on the ground. Gets a really nice arm triangle. Some really nice nuance in the finish, actually, if you want to look at it. He can't get flat and then crank, which is what you normally do. Um, Mitchell kind of gets up on a hip, which is one of the ways you try to defend the arm triangle. So Teporia just puts more of his chest ...over the position... ...and gets more of his chest weight on the... ...back of the tricep... ...to kind of further leverage his body weight... ...into the choke from the new position. Nice little nuance. Um, Dude... ...Tapori is the real deal. He's young. He's very, very good. He can fight a lot of different places. Um, Man... Again, like, Paddy Pimblett was beefing with this guy. You don't want any of that, buddy. Teporia would severely alter the course of your career. I mean that. Um, Taporia is clearly ready for the upper echelon of featherweight. That dude's probably going to fight for a title. And you know what? He might win it. I don't know exactly when... But, and look, if he fought Volkanovski tomorrow, would I pick Volkanovski? Yeah, I would. Because I, I picked Volkanovski over that division at this point, and somebody's going to beat him at some point, and I'll just be wrong when it happens. I can live with that. But watch out for that guy. Taporia is... He's really good, and he is going to contend for a belt at some point that was your main card again those last two fights left a real bad taste in everyone's mouth for obvious reasons as for the prelims speaking of hype jobs raul rosas jr defeated jay perrin via rear naked choke 244 the first perrin was 0 two in the ufc coming into this he was brought in to lose there's a lot of hype that suddenly spun up around rosas jr here to all those people i simply say the following i lived through sage north in the ufc If you want to start buying the promotional hype around this guy, do so at your peril. Look, I'm not saying Rosas will never amount to anything or that he'll, you know, wind up completely uh, burning out. I am saying the UFC gives preferential treatment. They gave this guy an eminently winnable fight. And his next two will also be eminently winnable. But he's going to have to run into he's going to run into somebody pretty darn soon who is not going to just kind of be there to lose. I've seen this a lot, guys. Again, you watch enough MMA, UFC in particular for this pattern, you see it. I'm not saying Rosas is going to again, I'm not saying he's a scrub. I'm saying he's very young. And this is the UFC is the wrong place to try and learn on the job in a lot of respects. So. Uh, but he gotta win predictably. Jarzinho Rosenstrick, good grief. He stops Chris Dawkins with punches in twenty-three seconds. Rosenstrick just came out and said, Well, alright, we're going. And he hurt Dawkins with a left more of a hook than a jab very early and just Ran him over. Good grief. Middleweight, Edmund Shabazian defeated dalcha Lungiambula via TKO knee and punches, 4.41 of the second. Shabazian needed this badly. He took a lot of time off to work on his game after that last loss and seems to have paid some dividends. Now, this was, again, I'm not going to say is a jobber. That would be a bit disingenuous to Long This was a favorable fight for Shabazian. And frankly, this would have been winner-go-home for him. If he lost this, I think the UFC would have cut him. So he got a win, got a much-needed win. Uh, looked okay doing it, too. Not great. Not a one-hitter-quitter. Not a spectacular, I'm-the-man kind of moment. Never had that. Methodical, patient, defensively responsible, got the finish. Again, this was mostly what he needed. And, yeah, good on him. Middleweight, ah, the action, man. Chris Curtis knocks out Walking Buckley with punches, 249 of the second. Buckley had a pretty good first round. A lot of movement. Um, I'm gonna quote Jack Slack here because this—he said this about this fight and it's true. Buckley threw a couple of body shots, I think, in the first round. And Curtis's guard is usually high, so his body's a bit exposed. Buckley threw a couple of body shots, like, "Hey, I know how to hit the body," and then never went back to it and just threw a bunch of punches at Curtis's head that were all blocked. Like, and Curtis actually mentioned, I think, on Twitter this morning, like. Man, you guys don't know how much this hurts the next day. Like, my face is fine, but my arms feel like like midgets were, tapped, were doing river dance on them, I think was his exact quote. So, Dude, your arms and your shoulders will take a beating. Better that than your head is kind of the logic. You know, why do you block, punch, and you better have a broken arm than a broken head, right? But, uh, Curtis, he, I thought he won the first round. He did less work. Did I give it to Buckley? I forget. Curtis did a lot less work, but he did the better work. So, a little bit iffy there. Second round, they're both southpaw. Buckley throws a body kick. And Curtis catches it. It lands, his um, his right hand drops and kind of you know overhooks it, wraps around it, catches it. So, Buckley can't move anymore. He's been very mobile to this point. And he just... Again, he doesn't grab it and really latch onto it. It's enough of a grab to keep the foot from getting back to ground and restarting the movement and keep Buckley stationary. And now, here's the other thing about this, because this was a power leg kick, so again, southpaw, left leg. He's now, technically speaking, in the orthodox stance relative to Curtis. This ends up badly for him because Curtis takes a step forward, so he's now in punching range. And he's at just enough of an angle to have a really nice lane for the left hand. Drops the boom, gets on top, pounds it out. Uh, Solid win for Chris Curtis. On the early prelims, Billy Quarantillo, man. Beats Alexander Hernandez. This was uh, Hernandez's debut at featherweight. Beats him, uh, TKO, knees and punches, 430 of the second. Hernandez wins the first round. Um, This was a good little fight, actually. Fernandez wins the first with wrestling and some control, some nice elbows, but Quarantillo keeps the pace high and gets some damage in on of his own. Dude, Billy Quarantillo just... It's a cliche, but he's a dog, man. He just doesn't stop. You know, he has pursued the fight and in losing efforts against very dangerous guys. Like, his fight with Shane Burgos was nuts. On any other fight card, that would have been fight of the night by a mile, and yet he had to follow... Um, okay, maybe not any other fight card, but most fight cards, that's fight of the night by a significant margin. He had to fo- they had to follow, uh, Chandler and Gagey's insanity. So, you know, sucks. <laughs> Sorry about your damn luck, man. Um, he just melted Hernandez. Just pressure, knees, making him work, clinch work, takedowns, just, Again, he just melted him. Solid win for Billy Quarantillo. Uh, T.J. Brown defeated Eric Silva via arm triangle choke, 341 of the third. Brown, just better wrestler, better overall. And kicking everything off, Cameron Simon defeated Stephen Koslow via TKO, knees and punches, 413 of the third. Simon probably needed the finish here, actually. He was deducted a point in round two. He landed an illegal knee. Koslow was on his knees and got kneed in the head. The point deduction was fair. Just, that was a fair point take, uh, take by the ref. Uh, but, you know, not a bad finish from Simon. Um, nothing earth-shattering here, but a good little fight. Your bonuses. Your fight of the night was not Paddy Pimblett. That actually surprised me, considering, you know, he's Dana's boy now. Um, fight of the night was Dracus Plessis and Darren Till. I actually agree with that. Your performances went to literally everyone else who got a finish. Santiago Ponzinibbio, Ilya Taporia, Raul Rosas Jr., Jarsina Rosenstreich, Edmund Shabazi, and Chris Curtis, Billy Quarantillo, TJ Brown, and Cameron Simon. Yet another reminder, ladies and gentlemen, the UFC could do this every time they choose not to. Because they are miserly. So, yeah. Um, Again, there was some good stuff there. If you want to look it up, um way over delivered in terms of the action. Last two fights and the judging associated with them just soured everything. So, all right. I want to talk about boxing. Not really. I mean, the only like Terence Crawford ran over somebody. Got paid 10 million dollars to run over someone who was nowhere near his level. Like He was offered the same amount to fight this guy that he was to fight Errol Spence. I'm taking the easier fight for the same money. Everybody and their dog would do that. All right, moving on then. Let us move along. UFC on ESPN Plus 74. The UFC closes out the calendar year of 2022 ne- this week. Long card, I think I counted. That. Again, I think we're at like five or 15 fights again. Yay. Main event, good fight. Jared Cannonier and Sean Strickland. Sean Strickland coming off of that really brutal knockout loss to Alex Pereira. That was his only that's his only loss at middleweight. That's nothing to sneeze at. Uh, He's fighting Jared Cannonier. Cannonier, coming off of a loss to Israel Adesanya. That was his title fight back in July. Um, Cannonier's power might be a problem. Five rounds I think favors Strickland a little bit. Strickland's Got, strickland can keep a good pace i'm gonna lean towards strickland here but this has some f- fun potential on it the best fight on this card on paper best fight co-main event lightweights armin saryukian and demir Ismagulov. oh just hook that into my veins <sighs> both ranked guys saryukian coming off of that loss to mateos gamrot What's a fun fight man there was so much good wrestling in that fight. I mean, his only... Lo- so you only losses in the UFC to this point are Islam Makashev, who he fought on short notice in his debut, and Mateusz Gamrot. Meanwhile, Demiris Magulov is on, uh, like, 19 fight winning streak. Let me count this real fast. It's long. Yeah, 19 with, what, five wins in the UFC? Yep, five wins in the UFC. Um, no finishes yet. But this is a really good fight. Um, in the better wrestler. bit shorter, though. Ismagulov has one of the best jabs in the division. Um, that's going to be a problem. I'm going to pick Ismagulov here, actually. I, I'm kind of high on the guy. What do you want me to say? But that fight, man. That's a good fight. Flyweights. Amir al and Alessandro Costa. Probably Al-Bazi. Yeah, yeah. That, that's an al pick for me. Um, they're not slow playing the guy, but he's a guy they clearly have some expectations for. Supposed to fight somebody else? I want to say he was. Yeah, he was supposed to fight Alex Perez. Um, Then he was supposed to fight Brandon Royville. So, ranked guys. Um, Perez formerly fought for the belt. Brandon Royville, again, a ranked opponent. So, he gets somebody else on short notice here. Pretty easy pick. Um, I might have picked him over Perez. I would not have picked him over Royville. Featherweights. Alex Caceres and Julian Arosa. Meh. Alex Caceres' longevity in the UFC is frankly baffling. He debuted for the UFC in 2011. Like, he was part of a season of The Ultimate Fighter. And he's been there, again, 12, 11 years at this point. In fact, it'll be 12 in March. March of 2023, 12 years Alex Caceres in the UFC he's had a very up-and-down run during that period of time, man. A little bit baffling. A little bit baffling. Um, as for Julian Arosa... Arosa's finally kind of found himself in the UFC. He's had a few different stints. His current run, he is 5-1 and one in the UFC. In his current run. Um, the only loss would be to Sungwoo Choi... I'm gonna lean towards Arosa here, but yeah, these are a couple of like career middle of the road guys. In fact, that Alex Casares main evented a UFC event, even a fight night. Just weird. He fought, he fought um, who did he fight? Yair Rodriguez in Salt Lake City, actually. The judge thought he won that fight too, man. Judges suck um lightweight good fight here actually drew dober and bobby green i'm gonna lean towards bobby green i think which is a little bit weird because green is you know a little bit all over the place but i'll lean towards bobby green here i mean i don't dislike drew dober but dober's very dober's very straightforward and he's very kind of fundamental and Bobby Green tends to do some pretty gnarly things to very traditional, fundamental strikers. And kicking off the main card, Michal Oluksajic and Cody Brundage. That's an Oluksajic pick. Um, Oluksajic, he's got some losses. He spent a lot of his UFC career up at... Um, light, he debuted at heavyweight, I think, didn't he? Uh, no, light heavyweight, okay. Well, he was severely undersized. And he's still on a winning record over, up the up at 205, so. He won his uh, middleweight debut, I think, earlier this year. Uh, pretty easy pick there. As for the prelims, Cheyenne Vlissmus will fight Corey McKenna. Uh, I think that's Vlissmus. McKenna is like, she's not bad, but... I don't know. Uh, welterweight, Jake Matthews and Matthew Semmelsberger. That's actually not a bad fight. Matthews with a career best performance his last fight out when he beat the crap out of Andre Fialho. If he shows up looking like that, he wins here. Um, Semmelsberger he's got some power, but Semelsberger still feels very unrefined. Um, I'm picking Matthews there. Middleweight fight, Julian Marquez and Deron Wynn. I don't know that I can pick Duran at this point. I mean, this is middleweight. He should probably—I don't know, man. He's his height-wise, he should be at welterweight, but his—he's so thick in the torso. Phil Haas beat the crap out of Win. I mean, Marquez is coming off of a loss. That Gregory Rodriguez fight was kind of nuts. Um, but this is a this is a pretty safe pick for Marquez here. I just don't think I can pick Duran at this point. Bantamweight, Saeed Nurmagomedov and Saeed Yakub Kakramanov. Um, I think it's a pretty... That's a fair enough pick for, for Nurmagomedov. he's I mean, his only loss in the UFC is to Hani Barcelos. Um, uh, yeah, but that, that, that fight has some potential too. Like, Bantamweight, good division. Lightweight, Rafa Garcia and... Um, I know how to pronounce this and I'm going to butcher it because I can't remember off the top of my head, so forgive me. But Hayashi or Mah- uh, Mahashde. Um, Garcia, up and down in the UFC. I think that's a Mahashde pick. Might be wrong about that, but yeah. Welterweights: Renat Fakhrundinov and Brian Battle. Eh, I didn't. I was relatively impressed with with UFC debut. However, I want to say that was a while ago. I mean, he might have had, you know, visa issues stemming from being Russian and, you know, the war. Um, let me just double check that real fast. Because I'm fairly certain. I know he's fought for the UFC before because I recognize the name. Um, yeah, he's Russian. He's 20-2. He's fought a couple of times for the UFC. No, just once? Hang on. He beat Andreas Michalidis. Why did I think I'd seen him more than once? Oh, okay, sorry. I see a picture of him now. Okay, I am at least partially confusing him facially with somebody else. Um, Brian Battles looked pretty good thus far in the UFC. He's 3-0. and That head kick win over Takashi Sato was nice. I think I'm still going to pick Fakrindintov, but... Battle might have something for him. Uh, Very easily might. Flyweight's Manel Kopp is going to try and make weight. Um, He's on a two-fight winning streak. He did miss weight once. I shouldn't give him a hard time about it. It was a pretty big miss, but he made weight the next time. Uh, he's fighting David Dvorak. You know, this fight's not going to get a lot of love, but this is a good fight. Dvorak had a long winning streak snapped by Mateusz Nikolaou in his last fight. Was 3 and 0 in the UFC before that again with an overall winning streak dating back to 2012. Uh, like 15 fights. Ridiculously long winning streak. Um, this is going to again, this is going to fly under some radars, but this is pretty good. Man, cop is so up and down. He can look spectacular, but he can also just do nothing. I don't think Dvorak will let him do nothing. Um, how long ago was Dvorak's last fight? March of this year. He kept a decent schedule. Hmm, that's tougher to pick actually than I thought it was going to be. It's a good fight. I think I'm gonna lean towards Dvorak here, and just be—I'm just prepared to be very wrong. And kicking everything off at bantamweight, Sergey Morozov and Journey Newsom. Morozov with one of the most deceptive two-and-two two records you'll find in the UFC. Um, Newsom just got his first UFC win. Yeah, Morozov pick here. So that's it. That will close out the UFC for 2022. We'll And, uh, yeah, I will be covering that Saturday in the MMA zone of 411mania.com. So if you're at all available, please do stop by. Say hello. I always appreciate it. Alrighty. Let's move on to some of the news. And then we will get out of here because I've been going for a while. Um, the James Kraus betting situation. Um I think Alberta, one of the two Canadian provinces that banned UFC betting, I believe it was Alberta, um, rescinded that ban. UFC is, people there are free to bet on the UFC again. After the UFC took steps against James Krause, Krause has sold his entire stake in Glory Fit MMA and Fitness. It's the gym he ran. Um, look, I, I said this when I talked a little bit about this last week. using insider knowledge for gambling purposes, when I said it's not a big deal, I, I mean, I somewhat misspoke. What I meant to say was it's kind of part of the machine. You expect that there's always some of it. It's against the law, so you look and you prosecute when you find it, but again, it's part of the machine, right? What you really have to worry about if you're the UFC is the sort of credibility of fights when fighters come in as injured as they do. Again, man, anybody that put money on T.J. Dillashaw was just, might as well have set it on fire. Anybody that bet on Sterling was just printing money. And, yeah, that's that's just kind of how that is. So, I don't know exactly what they're going to, the UFC is trying to dodge this bullet. They're trying to scapegoat James Krause. And let me be clear about this. I'm not saying James Krause is some innocent. Like, if he did what it looks like he did, there's serious legal repercussions. Again, that's alleged and if and speculative on my part. But. uh, So, he's not innocent. But the UFC is going to try and pretend like this was only James Krause. Like, no one else has ever done this. Like, no one else is still doing this. Like, fighters fighting with serious injury isn't a regular occurrence. They're going to try and say, no, no, one bad actor, not systemic flaws in the system. Pay no attention. Leslie Nielsen in front of the exploding factory. Nothing to see here, folks. Move along. So. And again, that's not me saying James Krause is some, like, babe in the woods, caught in the wrong, like, wrong place, wrong time kind of deal here. Like, he, there's a decent chance that, you know, he was doing some shady stuff. Like, just pretty decent chance of that. So, but, yeah, and uh, they're just, they're going to try to sweep that under the rug. And, you know, the media will let them because the MMA media is the MMA media. And the regulators, well, we'll see what the regulators want to do because that's the only people that the UFC care about. All right. Moving on... Um, TJ Dillashaw has announced his retirement from Mixed Martial Arts. Not terribly surprising, given what he just did to his body. And the fa- Look, I went over this a little bit when I talked about TJ's resume. Like, that dude has had injury issues for a long time. Like, a long time. He's been kind of injury prone, and just no one's talked about it. Um, with what he did to his shoulder... I mean, couple of things about what he did to his shoulder like not only he was doing damage to it for the entirety of the time it was like that's not an injury that if you have it that's it it's not going to get any worse it gets worse it gets worse all the time and what was it he said like the shoulder started being a problem like in april something like that like april or may it started having problems Again, some injuries, like you tear your ACL. That sucks, but it's torn. You're not, assuming it's a full tear. Like if you have a partial tear, different story. But assuming you tear the ACL, you can't really tear it again. The danger becomes tearing other things associated with it. But the ACL itself is not going to tear any worse. It's already torn. Again, assuming full tear, not partial your shoulder's kind of important, and if you dislocate it or separate it, it's not like, well, all right, that's not getting any worse. Let's, We may as well keep going. Like, you're perpetually damaging it. Like, that entire time, it's getting worse. He's going to have to have, like, not just surgery, probably multiple surgeries. There's a non-trivial chance he can't raise his left arm. It was his left arm. There's a decent chance he's not going to be able to raise his left arm above his head. Think about that for a second. So, yeah, like between his age and he's old for bantamweight, and the injuries, and remember his AC- his knee got torn up fighting Corey Sandhagen, then he destroyed his shoulder. And decided, well, well, screw it. I'll basically defraud anyone betting on this event and fight uh, you know, Aljamain Sterling. And, like, he's had injuries and he's had a lot of them. Some people have pointed out, and you know what, for the record, if he is exploiting this, I'm not going to blame him one iota because USADA sucks. But by retiring, he is technically out of the USADA testing pool. So, you know. If you're going to get on the stuff, retiring, and then healing up, cleaning it out of your system, and then trying to come back is certainly within the realm of possibility. Be a stretch for him, again, given his age and the serious damage he's done to himself, but it's a possibility. I mean, again, Connor had kind of the same thing. Like, Look, with the way Connor broke his leg, some of the stuff you want medically to heal you to aid in the healing process... We'll get you in trouble with USADA. So Connor being out of the testing pool for the duration of his recovery, I, I'm not mad at him. Like I don't like Connor, but you know him getting out of the testing pool via whatever means he did, because transparency, right, right. Um, and then you know getting and guys, he's on stuff. I don't know exactly what. I'm not going to say steroids because it could be any number of performance-enhancing drugs. But look at the amount of muscle mass he put on at his age and the time frame under which he did it. Like, if you have a good genetic profile for adding muscle, and you're starting with, like, the newbie gains, because when you first start trying to put on muscle, the first little bit, like, you're going to lose fat pretty quickly, and then you're going to gain muscle, and the first, like... Well, like, my general experience, the first, like, 10-ish pounds, kind of depending on your frame, like, I lost the first 20 pounds when I got physically active again. Like, I went from 240 to 220 in... 6 to 8 months, somewhere in that range. I have to double-check exactly, but... Like, that's more about how sedentary I was than my, like, rigorous kick-ass workout routine. It wasn't that. It was... pretty light, in all honesty, but, you know, that first little bit that comes off when you just become physically active is pretty easy to come off. The first, like, kind of bit of muscle that you gain, the first, like, call it five... call it, like, five to Ten, five, yeah, ten pounds a lot of muscle. But the first, you know... I'd say five to ten, for the sake of like range, given like different body types and whatnot. That's not that hard to gain, actually. Again, like the first little bit that you start getting, when your body starts responding. Like that's they call it the newbie gains. Everything after that is a fight. Connor was not starting at a position where he'd never lifted weights before. He's not benefiting from newbie gains. Like, that's a guy already in very good shape. He's on stuff to get bigger for a movie. And you know what? Again, I don't blame him. It's it's Hollywood. Everyone's on something. And if you think that most Hollywood, especially leading man Hollywood action star physiques, are natural, I have beachfront property in Omaha to sell you. They're not. None of them are. They're all lying about it. And you know what? You shouldn't care. You should absolutely not care what movie stars do to get into superhero shape. And frankly, to anyone out there that would pass moral judgment on that, screw you. Just, uh, look, my, argu- my beef is with the ones that like, no, no, of course I'm all natural, and here's how you can do it. If You're not giving me your chemist, I'm not doing it, buddy. So, anywho, Dilsha retires. I, there's a—look, he might try to come back for one more, but we're going to have to wait and see what his shoulder is like, man. Like, again, there's a—he did lifelong damage to that thing, I have no doubt. So, there's that. Uh, last bit of news that I have written down here. Uh, one championship is set to make their U.S. debut. They will be in Colorado in May with a main event of the third fight, the trilogy fight, between Demetrius Johnson and Adriano Moraes. If you're going to try and make inroads into the U.S. market, uh, again, especially like trying to sell tickets, DJ's maybe the best shot they have at doing that. And Colorado is the only state thus far that has approved one's rule set, which is not the same as the unified rules of mixed martial arts, so... I believe Colorado's the only one Others might have jumped on board, but some of them, like, again, it's different state to state. But I know Colorado has. That's why they're going there. So be on the lookout for that if you're so inclined. Those two have had two pretty darn good fights, and, you know, I like Demetrius Johnson, so. All right, that's everything I've written down. Let's check Twitter, see if anything crazy is broken in the MMA space. If not, we will do plugs, and we will get out of here. All right, nothing new, so plugs. Well, nothing... Oh, God, I saw that Dana White clip. He thought Jared Gordon had a terrible game plan. I... I can't. Some days, man, you just can't. Remember, people, promoters are liars. They're professional liars. Please remember that. Your life will be easier. Anyway, plugs. Uh, Monday, special Monday edition of Damn You Hollywood, myself, Mark Ridlidge, Alexis Haina, and Zachary Strobel will get together to review Pinocchio. If that sounds familiar, that's because we assembled a couple of months ago to review the Robert Zemeckis live action slash 3D animated Pinocchio on Disney. This time, a good version of that story, we will be reviewing Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which is on Netflix. I finished watching that before I started recording this show. Preview of my review. It's a darn good movie. Go watch it. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, The usual spate of professional wrestling. AEW's Dark Elevation on Monday. MLW on Thursday. WWE SmackDown on Friday. The last UFC event of 2022 on Saturday. We will be back here next week. And we will... Review, UFC on ESPN plus 74. There is nothing to preview. Um, in fact, because the 25th is on a Sunday, so Christmas falls on a Sunday, and I don't really want to record on a Sunday. I'm going to plan for the 18th to be the last episode of the Ground and Pound show for 2022. So we might do some year in review stuff there and then we will be back on the new year because i don't mind doing this new year's day but sunday uh january 1st will be our first podcast of 2023 wait do i want to do my year in review then because there's no ufc event until i'll have an update for this on the 18th i will figure this out before the next podcast we'll sort it out get it done And I will see you all here back. I will see you next week, if nothing else. There will be one next week. And then I'll figure out the scheduling after that. So thank you, as always, for listening. I deeply appreciate all of you. Stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.